Psalm 107. We'll pick up where we were a couple of weeks ago. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at kind of the history of Israel and what was going on behind all of this. Probably more history than you ever wanted. But uh, we're going to look and see what they're talking about with the text. And uh, all of us, one thing we do have in common is all of us have a past. What is your past and what is it like? Well, whenever we ask somebody to share a testimony, we usually hear about their past. And a lot of times we hear about some of the good things. Sometimes we hear about some of the bad things. But if you will think about your own life and how you dealt with previous generation, parents, grandparents, and you heard them talk about the days when they grew up, they put a tag on there, those were the good old days, good old days. And uh, I look back on some of that that I would hear and I would think, that doesn't sound so good to me. I like indoor plumbing and I like air conditioning and I like those kind of things, right? You know, but uh, when you look back at the past, sometimes you don't always understand it. But here's the other thing that I want to say before we read the text. Sometimes when you're in the past going through it, you can't figure out what's going on. Why is this happening? Why are we going through this? And you can't wait to get out of those good old days, as we call them. Well, that's the way Israel was. Israel and Judah, remember, they had been split into two kingdoms. There was uh, ten tribes of the northern kingdom called Israel, and then uh, two tribes Judah being dominant, and uh, Benjamin also was with them, and they made up the nation of Judah. And so Israel had kings, terrible kings, terrible kings. And Judah had kings as well. Some of them were terrible, and some of them were pretty good. Judah would have periods of revival, and uh, Israel just ignored everything that the prophet said. And Judah sometimes would listen a little bit, and have a period of relief and a period of revival. But um, Judah had a problem of thinking that because the temple is here, surely no one will invade us, and surely we won't be taken captive because this is where the temple is. I mean, what's God going to do without a temple? And what's God going to do without us to worship him? And so they would mix idolatry with true religion Judaism, uh, the law. And so um, in the 700s, God sent the Assyrians to invade the northern kingdom. They're taken captive. And all that did was make Judah go, see, well, they deserved it. Look at all of their wickedness and their idolatry, but it'll never happen here. Well, in 586 BC, Nebuchadnezzar comes along and it did happen there. And so for those next 70 years, they were captive, of course, in Babylon. And when we read this psalm, we get a little bit more insight into it. This psalm, the verses we're going to look at, they use hardship terms, prison terms, things like shackles and irons, those type of things. Hard labor to the point that they stumbled under the burden that they were going through. And don't you know, during that time, there was more than one person going, Oh, Lord, why is this happening to us? Why is this happening to us? What have we done to deserve this? Where is our God and where are the covenants? I mean, all of a sudden, 
when they're in captivity, they're interested in spiritual things. They're interested in the promises of God. They're interested in the covenants. They're interested in all of that. They could care less about them before, even though they were warned time and time again. But when the problems come, then they cry out to God. See, they're not really much different than us. And we wonder, why are these things happening? We look at our nation and we go, how can these things be happening to us? Well, take a good, honest look back at the last 50 years of our nation. And you might get a good idea for why we're going through some hard times and why I think even the times may get worse. When you look at your own life and your family and you go, why are we going through this? Well, I mean, there are some reasons that are uh, where hardships come upon God's people that have nothing to do with sin. But I think a lot of times, though, we look back and we go, well, look at the way we've been living and look at what we did and look at what we failed to do. And that can give us a good indication of why we are where we are, even in our own lives and our own families. And so the psalmist is going to cause us to look back and one of the things we do know, this is a good grandpa saying, is that hindsight is 2020. You can't always predict the future. You can't always read the tea leaves and all of that kind of stuff. And sometimes even in the present, we can't figure out what's going on. But when we look back, after enough time has gone by, and after we've matured and after we've learned our lessons, then we sort of get it. And this is a Jew writing this psalm who looks back on the captivity in uh, Babylon, and he gets it. It's clear to him. Now, his ancestors couldn't understand it, but it is clear to him as he writes these verses. Psalm 107, we'll read verses 10 through 13. Those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and irons, shackles, cuffs, Bonds, those kind of things. And uh, then it, there's a dash there. Why were they like that? Why did this happen? Here's the reason. Because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. He's got it clear. Those people back then, while it was happening, why? Oh, how could God do this? The psalmist now, a few generations later, he goes, pretty clear pretty clear why it happened they rebelled and they despised the word of God so verse 12 picks up with a therefore it ties together the previous verses therefore he God brought down their heart with labor that would be hard labor wouldn't it they fell down they stumbled in other words and there was none to help verse 13 then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. Boy, isn't it terrible that it takes things like that to get us to cry out to the Lord? Isn't it terrible that it took this, the covenant people of God, before they would actually cry out to the Lord? Isn't it terrible that it takes hard times to bring a nation to its knees, even a nation that has been so blessed like the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah. What in the world is wrong with us 
that we can't just see it, understand it, and repent when we fall into sin and get things right with God. But no, they had to go through all of this. Now, did all of this just simply come upon them like COVID-19? Or were there warnings? Well, I want you to take your Bible and I want you to follow along with some things and I want you to see for yourself how gracious God was. Before captivity, way back written through the pen of Moses in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 25, here's what Moses says. When you father children and children's children, that means when generations go by in the land, in the promised land, in the land that he gave to them, and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything, and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed, and the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, the nations, the Gentiles, in other words. And you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve or be subject to gods of wood and stone and the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. Boy, does that sound like a good word of prophecy? That's exactly what happened all those years later to the people of Israel. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 46. Solomon is dedicating the temple. And we won't look at all of this, but it says in verse 46, If they, meaning the people that are the worshipers, the people of Israel, if they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them, and give them to an enemy so that they are carried away captive to the land of the enemy far off or near. And we'll stop there. Could it be any more clear? Solomon was praying to the Lord in the presence of the people, dedicating the temple, talking about sin and talking about rebellion and talking about captivity. These people can't say that they were unwarned. God had made it very, very, very clear in advance of all of this what was going to happen if they disobeyed him. And yet they would act like at the time, what, what, we've never, what, I don't understand this. Why, why would this be happening to us? Well, even during the advance of Babylon and Assyria, God was warning them even while those nations were kind of breathing down Israel and Judah's neck. If you look in the book of Micah, chapter 4, verse 10, God says, 
Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. Can it be any more plain than that? And there you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. So God makes it real clear. This is a time of pain, and this is coming, and it's coming faster than you think it is, but you've been warned. And I'm going to tell you where you're going to go. You're going to be captive to the Babylonians, but don't lose heart because that's also the place that I'm going to redeem you. I'm so glad God in that situation not only showed them the bad, but he also showed them that something good was going to happen. Probably not on their timetable, but it was going to happen. The prophet Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, in chapter 25, Jeremiah 25, verses 8 through 11. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, not that Nebuchadnezzar was obeying God, but he was subject to God's sovereignty. In other words, God is telling Judah, this isn't an accident. I'm doing this. I'm sending Nebuchadnezzar to take you captive, okay? Pick up in the text again. And I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all these surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing, and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will banish from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the grinding of the millstones. In other words, they're going to take away every happy sound that there is, and the light of the lamp. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Could it be any more clear, any more plain? This is the same God that in Jeremiah 14, Jeremiah starts to pray and God says, pray no more for this people. Stop it. It's too late, Jeremiah. And whenever they offer offerings or whenever they pray, I'm not going to hear and I'm not going to accept it, but I will devour them with famine, pestilence, and the sword. And Jeremiah, all he can say is, ah, oh, Lord God, it's overwhelming to him. When God speaks, he means business. And he intends for us to listen to him. And he gives us warnings. And when we don't heed the warnings, then even in his patience and grace and mercy, he tells us what is going to happen to uh, his people. And what happens? They, like us, just ignore all of them and go on like nothing's going to happen. You say, well, why would they do that? Because Jeremiah was telling the truth and they hated him for it. But there were false prophets, happy boys, who were telling them, oh, no, everything is great. 
Everything is going to be wonderful. And we've got preachers today that get on television and they write books and they do all kinds of things with a big smile on their face telling everybody, you can have your best life now. Don't worry, nothing's going to happen. In fact, you can be healthy and prosperous. Don't worry about sin. Don't worry about the judgment of God. Just, just go on like nothing's happening. You think that's all new with Joel Osteen and people like that? Jeremiah 14 Verse 13, then I said, all Lord God, behold, the prophets say to them, you shall not see the sword, nor shall you have famine, but I will give you assured peace in this place. Well, that sounds good. Which would you rather hear, Jeremiah or these guys? Well, the Lord said to me, these prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them nor did I command them or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and the deceit of their own minds. Boy, God doesn't mince words even with that, does he? And so we look at all of this and we see, what was their excuse for any of this? Well, they didn't have any. Moses warned them. Solomon warned them, and then we find in the uh, book of Micah the prophet warning them, and Jeremiah warning them, and others had done that, and God even gets really, really, really specific with all of them. And so what did they do? They listened to falsehood instead of listening to the truth, and what happened? Calamity came upon them, and their nations, Israel and Judah, were invaded, they were taken off captive the land was plundered and they were left with little or nothing and they were enslaved by the king of Babylon in particular so it's amazing that during all of that they couldn't see they couldn't figure it out why is this happening what's going on and this psalmist looks back and he goes boy it's pretty clear to me and so point number one tonight would be simply this Hindsight puts the past in perspective. Hindsight puts the past in perspective. While we're going through it, we can't figure it out. But there are a lot of times that we can look back and say, now I see it, now I get it, now I understand it. And uh, when he looks back at the past, he sees it as being as dark as it was, sitting in darkness, being in the shadow of death. You know, David wrote about that in Psalm 23, in other words, death is just present and ominous and bound in affliction and irons. In other words, they're, uh, they're enslaved and they're imprisoned during all of this. And you know, uh, as I thought about that, it's easy, if we're not careful, to take the past and do one of two things with it, even our own past, much less theirs. We either... Uh, look at it and see it all as negative and horrible and wonder why God would allow that to happen or why we would go through it and hate it and run from it instead of embracing it. Or we romanticize it and make it sound a whole lot better than what it really was. And in both of those cases, I think what happens, the danger in that is we fail to learn the lesson. They say that those who don't learn from history are destined to repeat it. And I think we are repeating some history even in our own 
land and our own culture even now. Some of these things seem uh, very familiar to the 1970s and the upheaval in the 60s and all of that, the inflation, the different things that are happening to all of us. It kind of seems like a, a rerun, higher gas prices and those kind of things. And some of you in here are old enough to remember when you go to a gas station and they didn't have any gas. And um, then you go to another one and it said that if you, we were living in California during uh, a lot of this. And I can remember we go up to a gas station uh, needing gas and um, the sign would say uh, there's odd days and even days. And if your tag ends in an odd number, you can only come on these days. If it ends in an even number, you can come on these days. Well, that can be a problem. If you have an odd tag on an even day and an empty tank, you can be in trouble. When we lived in Germany, a year later, Europe was really hit by the Arab uh, oil embargo. And they completely banned driving on Sundays. And they were already paying back then in 1973 and 74 about $5 a gallon. I'm not sure what that would be in today's dollars. So they were really, really hurting. And uh, they banned driving on Sunday. So when we would go to church, we would have to get on a public city bus and go to church. Those kind of things. Remember those days? And remember what they were like? And remember Gerald Ford wearing that button that says W-I-N, when? And it stood for whip inflation now. Remember when the days back uh, in, in those times when uh, interest rates for mortgages were sometimes in the teens and even pushing 20 and 21% for a house mortgage? Talk to people today that are buying houses and they're, oh, I missed it. I'm going to have to pay 3% interest on that. And I go, yeah, I remember times when 8% interest was a deal. And then it went down to 6 and I refied in a hurry on that. And now look where it is. Well, it's going up and prices are going up and things are happening like that. Think about when you go back into the 60s and 70s, the sexual revolution. Well, we've kind of been going through a sexual revolution to the 10th power in our day. And things seem to repeat themselves because we don't seem to learn the lessons from the past. We want to get out from under it while the pressure's on, but then as soon as the pressure is off, we kind of run right back to where we've been before. And so back in the 60s, it was, why do we have to be married to have sex? Free love, and if it feels good, do it, they would say. And then it turns into homosexuality and then it turns into the transgender phenomenon and all of the stuff that we see coming on and on because we, like Israel and Judah, don't really listen and don't pay attention and we really don't learn so much from the past. Those days were not really good days. And uh, those were not times that we really want to repeat. And yet if we're not careful, we make them so bad and so awful that we just shun everything when we should learn from it, or we turn around and make it so cool and so fun and romanticize it that we don't really see the displeasure of God and what He was teaching us during that time. So be careful what you do even with your own past and with the past of the culture. Don't make it worse than it was and don't make it better than it was. 
And when we think about those, the psalmist talks about them as being dark times. And we can understand that. We've been through some dark times, even individually. Your family has been through dark times. You've been through some dark times. And uh, we want to learn from those kind of things. And we don't want to become bitter. And we don't want to make it worse than it was so that it colors everything that we go through. There were lessons. There were reasons that we went through those things. Now, it could be you went through those things because of persecution. Paul said, those who desire to live godly in this life shall suffer persecution. That, that's one possibility. It could be that you go through dark times simply because God is wanting to teach you to trust Him. Uh, he, there are times when He's walking with you, holding you by the hand, and then He says, okay, cut the lights, and the lights go out and it's dark. And what is he trying to do? He's strengthening you and teaching you to trust him. Don't trust in the light. Don't trust in your ability to reason things out. Don't trust in your ability to see. Trust in him. He may be doing that simply to strengthen you. But it also could be you go through dark times simply because you have sinned against the Lord and he is correcting you and teaching you to obey his word and to get rid of sin out of your life. And so whatever it is that we are doing and going through that, we know that if we are uh, caught in sin, then the shackles and the labor and the burden and the lack of peace, we can understand what the psalmist is saying here. And uh, we don't always learn. In Isaiah chapter 50 verse 10, it says, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord. And so there are those things that God teaches us in the light. And then when the lights go out, what are we supposed to do? Change the agenda? No, keep on doing what you know you were supposed to do. And also, might I add, whatever God teaches you during those dark times, don't forget them and don't abandon them when the lights come back on. And it seems like we either do one or the other. Whenever we are walking in the light, everything's cool and it's fine. And, and then when we get in the dark, we panic and we abandon the Lord. Or maybe we learn something in the darkness that we can trust the Lord. And then when the lights come back on, we say, okay, thank you, Lord. You got me through that. See you later. We'll uh, pick it up at another time. And uh, both of those are wrong. We're to keep walking in the right way, whether it's light or whether it's darkness, whether the days are good or whether they're evil. Just simply serve the Lord and do what you've been taught to do from the Word of God. And uh, He certainly will bless you through all of that. And you'll find that those things that happen are going to come into clearer focus and you're going to actually uh, benefit from them. Secondly... Notice that hindsight can explain the difficult times. You know, why did we go through that? Why were we impoverished? Why were we taken captive? Why did all of this happen when we're supposed to be in a land flowing with milk and honey? We've all felt like that. Where's God and why is this happening to us? And the psalmist tells us very clearly, because they rebelled against the words of God. It's clear enough, isn't it? And they despised the counsel of the Most High. So in this case, the hard times were not simply because of persecution. It was not because God wanted to strengthen their trust in him. It's because they rebelled. We all know what that means. And they also despised the Lord's counsel. 
and despise, we have to remind ourselves, this is a word that in Bible times, it meant, eh, no big deal. How many of you have ever seen money laying around in a parking lot and you picked it up? And when I was a kid, that was a fun thing to find that somebody had lost some change, a penny or a nickel or, man, if you got a quarter, you were rich back in those days, right? And a penny, you could go use that in a gum machine or uh, things like that. But uh, nowadays, <sighs> I'm a 62-year-old man. I am not bending over for a penny. Would you? Most of us don't. There may be some. I won't call any names, Miss Shirley. I heard that. But you know what we generally do? We look and go, oh, somebody dropped something. And we walk right on by it. In fact, it's even to the point now where I would imagine for a lot of us, even if it's a dollar bill and the wind's blowing it, you ain't going to chase it. If you can pick it up easy, you'll pick up a dollar. But if you've got to chase after it and look like a fool, you, probably not. Probably not. Why? Because those things are not worth what they used to be worth. $100, now you're talking. Probably even $20, now you're talking. But a penny, nah, probably not. Probably not going to waste my time. And what God's people were doing when it says they despised his counsel, his counsel to them was like a penny in the parking lot. Eh, yeah, nah. And they just overlooked it. And that's what the word despise means when you see it in the Bible. It means to take it lightly, to not pay attention to it, to not value it. And they didn't value the counsel of God. And that's why they ended up in the trouble that they were in. They didn't see it. They didn't get it. What's wrong with this? What's the big deal, they might have said. You know, why would we be punished for something like that? This can't be any more sinful than not picking up a penny in a parking lot. What, what's, what's going on? Well, hindsight, when this psalmist could look back on all of that, he said, yeah, this is, this is a pretty serious sin. Here's why the captivity happened. Because every time God spoke, they rebelled against it, and they said, ah, no, we're not doing that. We'll do things our own way. We've got a better idea. And whenever the prophets would come... And whenever the word of God would speak in their synagogues and in the temple, you know what they did? Yeah, it's a nice thought. I'll get around to that someday, but I've got other more important things that I've got to do now. And we find ourselves being in the same way. It's not just the American culture, it's us. And many times God says something in his word that we don't like and we just say, no, I'm going to do what I'm going to do even when I know what to do. I'm going to violate it. We rebel against the word of the Lord. And then when we do get something that we go, oh, that was kind of a blessing. That was neat. Maybe it's in our quiet time. Maybe it was on a bumper sticker. Maybe it was on social media. Maybe it was in a scripture reading in the church. And we go, oh, that was really nice. But we don't value it enough to memorize it. We don't value it enough to write down the reference so we can look it up and make sure we're interpreting it properly. We don't really remember it. We go, what was that thing? I heard my father-in-law talking to a man one time, and he said, 
were you in church yesterday? And the guy goes, oh yeah, I go every Sunday. He goes, what'd your pastor preach on? And the guy goes, um, 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 and he was embarrassed. You know why that is? Because so many people sit through church, but they don't value the message. It's something to endure and get away from, not something to embrace. That guy went on to go, yeah, but he told the funniest story. And he remembered the joke, but he didn't remember the text. He didn't remember any of the points. He didn't remember what it was about. You see, that's what Israel was doing. The problem was not with the Babylonians. The problem was not with the Assyrians. The problem was with the Jews, the people of God. And they no longer valued any word from God, whether it came from a prophet or a preacher, or whether it was written down in the scrolls themselves. They didn't really value it. They rebelled when they understood it. And then the other times, they just said, eh, no big deal, no big deal. And they went through that. And they wondered why God dealt with them so severely. And the psalmist says, I know why. You rebelled and you despised. You rebelled and you despised what God did. I think we're seeing a picture here, maybe even of our own lives and what is going on. In Amos chapter 6, verse 3, it says, O you who put far away the day of disaster and bring near the seed of violence. In other words, he said there are so many times when you go, Oh, that, that, that'll never happen. And if it does, it won't happen in my lifetime. That's what they were doing. He says, Woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and, uh, and stretch themselves out on their couches. And they eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall who sing idle, meaningless songs to the sound of the harp, and like David, invent for themselves instruments of music, who drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils, but are not grieved over the sin of Joseph. You know what God was saying to them? The word woe, W-O-E, means judgment, calamity. And these people couldn't see it. Oh, bring me another bowl of wine. Oh, where's the oil? I've got some dry skin here. I'm a little itchy. Oh, and by the way, bring me another lamb chop. Bring me another steak. And they couldn't see anything else happening. Does that not scare you when you think about America and our culture? That we ought to be able to see the storm clouds of judgment coming all around us and what is the response even of most Christians? Yeah, looking pretty bad, but uh, no time soon. Wonder what's on Netflix. Wonder what I can stream next. And we don't take anything that God says as serious. Oh, he's gracious. He's loving. He's merciful. Yeah, the storm clouds look bad, but we're okay. God wouldn't do anything like that. And we listen to the false prophets, and we don't learn from the past, and we don't properly ascertain what is going on even in the present time. There may come a day, folks, when we look back and we say, now I get it. But then it's a little bit too late.
The opportunity to repent is past. We need to take God seriously. We need to learn from what the Bible says during the past. And we need to pray. We need to pray. We'll stop there and we'll pick up at that point uh, next week. And uh, cover a couple of more points in this. Because there's a lot in here for us to think about and to consider. And one of the things that really strikes me is, man, it's amazing. These people never saw a flushing toilet. These people never knew what refrigeration was. They never saw an automobile. They never flew to the moon. They never knew what an airplane or even a train was or even a bus. None of those kind of things like that. They couldn't stream anything. They couldn't figure out your phone. They would probably think it was witchcraft. Uh, Nothing like that at all. And yet, what did they struggle with? The same things that we struggle with. And they didn't have it all written down for them like we do in the inerrant word of God. So what's our excuse? And if God judged them for rebellion and for mainly taking lightly the word of God, I've got a question for you. What do you think he has to say about us, our culture, and about our nation, the most evangelized nation in the history of earth? A place that has had more churches and more Christians per capita than anywhere on the earth. A nation that has had prosperity and freedom that has been unparalleled in human history. A place with churches, when you live in a part of the country we do, where you can hardly throw a rock without finding a church. What do you think, what do you think God's thoughts are toward us and our culture. We've already seen what he thought about Israel and Judah. What do you suppose he would say about us today in the time in which we live? And that is a frightening thought when you think about it. And that's why he told Israel, if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, right? And that they will turn from their wicked ways, confess their sins. Then I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. That was a promise not to us. That was a promise to Israel. That's what God said he would do with them. God is getting ready to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. He tells Abraham. And Abraham said, wait a minute, that's where my nephew, not Lot, and his family live. Surely you wouldn't destroy them if there's ten righteous people. And God says, okay, fair enough. Then Abraham thinks about it. It's Sodom and it's Gomorrah. Surely for five people. Isn't that what he says? And the Lord says, okay. And what happened? They ended up being destroyed Because Lot wasn't much of an influence on them. Lot couldn't even influence his own wife. She looked back with longing to Sodom and turned into a pillar of salt. That tells you where her heart was. His own daughters, after they escape, they say, Oh, how are we going to have husbands now? And how are we going to bear children? And so they got Lot drunk. And he committed incest with them. So... There wasn't a whole lot going on there, was there? And we look at our own 
country and we see all of the things that are going on and we say, Lord, if you called upon ancient Israel to humble themselves before you and pray for the healing of their land, surely, surely you would honor that today if we, your people, would do the same. And if you were willing to spare wicked Sodom for the sake of just a handful of righteous people, and the ones that you spared weren't really all that righteous, surely, Lord, you would hear us in our land. And we would understand that the real power in America and for reformation in America is not in the White House or the halls of Congress. It's right here. And it's with us. And when we think about all of the things that Israel went through and we see the parallels to our own culture, it's time for the people of God to take it seriously. And so tonight, let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. And I would like for you to beg God to have mercy upon our land, to have mercy upon our country, to have mercy upon us and our children and our grandchildren, and for us to not rebel against the Word of God and not to take it lightly any longer, but to take God seriously. So I want to give you moment to do that and not just here and not just now but this ought to be something we pray about daily we are in trouble folks we're in trouble and God is our only hope